So right now, we're going to read the Word of God from Lamentations chapter 2. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughters of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand and the face of his enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe, and he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes and in the tent of daughters of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. He has multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. The heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent in the day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Let, lift your hands to him in the lives of your children who faint for hunger in the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat from the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, these words are convicting. Lord, these words are uh, hard to hear. God, Lord, uh, we pity the day to think of how you have withdrawn your hand of blessing, Lord, and poured out your wrath. God, thank you that we can draw close to you through the redemptive blood of Christ. Lord, thank you that you've satisfied your wrath upon him. And Lord, I pray for Ryan this morning that you would speak through him. Pray that every word that you give him would come from you, every thought from you. And Lord, uh, pray that your spirit would be, it would be evident that you're present, that you would convict our hearts and turn us even closer to you. And pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So if you're new here, you're like, man, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Well, uh, we've decided as a church that we're, we want to lean into a side of the human experience that we often avoid, um, known as lament, grief, suffering. And uh, as we look at this today, um, you're going to feel something. And my, my encouragement to you as you feel is to lean into it. Don't run away from it. Uh, because uh, God has given us emotion and feeling for reason, and he has a, a great purpose through it. Uh, as we get in here, I want to share quickly about an experience that I had recently. started out like this, me standing in my living room saying this, I hope he get what, gets what he deserves. 
Those are the words that came out of my mouth as the Gwinnett, the two Gwinnett County detectives were standing uh, in my living room. For me, the process had been consuming, to say the least. I noticed uh, there was a charge on my card on a, on a Sunday night, $1,086 to the designer brand Dior. Now, at first thought, I thought to myself, if I'm honest, Megan? But then I noticed that it wasn't a $1,000 charge to Ross, and I knew it couldn't be her. And so I, I'm thinking, okay, i got to handle this Monday morning. Something's come up. There's activity, fraudulent activity here. And so Monday morning, I, I'm waking up. I've had my coffee. At 9.30 a.m., the doorbell rings. And it's not one of those things where the doorbell rings and there's a package dropped and they leave. The doorbell rings and the guy stands there with a package in his hand. So I go out and, and he says, it's signature required. And so I sign for it. You never know what you're getting when you sign for that, by the way. And, and then the guy leaves and then I come in and I do what any reasonable human being would do. I open the package that I've just signed for. And I get through the first box and it's, you know, just a box. And I get to the second box within the box and it looks like something from the temple. I mean, it is like all like the finest box you've ever seen before with like, you know, like this, this ribbon that was probably had some gold in it or something. It was just really fancy, like way fancier than anything I would ever buy. And so I do what any reasonable person would do. I continue opening the box. It's from Dior. And, um, and then I get down to the bottom of the treasure, St. Patrick's Day, right? I get down to the bottom of the treasure and lo and behold, I realize that it is nothing other than a $1,086 sweater. And so I do what any of you would do. I pause my anger for a moment. I go to the bathroom and I try it on. Because <laughs> there's only one time you get a chance to try on a $1,000 sweater, right? I'm thinking if it fits, maybe I keep it. Who knows? We'll see. Um, and uh, I tried it on, and, you know, it, it did fit, and it looked like that. I don't, you can't really tell in the picture, but it has kind of this diagonal zipper here that is really my style. So uh, um, yeah, the staff team, I showed it to them. They are like, yeah, man, it's like a vent for when you're preaching. You know, you can kind of unbutton it. You get... Anyway, uh, so pretty soon thereafter, my wrath is kind of heated back up, my white, white hot anger for what's happened, and I get straight back to the matter at hand. My pursuit of justice, and, and later that afternoon, my doorbell rings again. And uh, later from the doorbell camera, what I see is a man that comes up, he grabs a package off of my doorstep, and he stands and he pretends to be an Amazon delivery man at my front door. Now, what happens next? I can't make it up. He comes in with a, with a, uh, with a tracking number, and he says, I think, sir, that, that there was a package that was mistakenly delivered to you with this tracking number. And I've got the tracking number, you know, on the box right next to me. And he says, I need to return that back to who it belongs to. And I, without thinking, I say this, hey, so what's it like to be a thief? This is all on camera. Uh, what's it like to try and steal something from my stolen credit card and then rip it out of my hands? And he, and he immediately says, oh, there must be some kind of misunderstanding. I work for Amazon. And, uh, and I said, well, why don't you come on in and sit down, and then we'll call the police, and they can help us work it out. And he's like, oh, no, no, that's not necessary, sir. I've got, I've got other packages to deliver. I'll call my manager. We'll get this all worked out. And I never see his face again. But in that moment, i got to tell you, I felt so violated. You know, I felt so compromised. I felt so much injustice. And some of you have felt things like that before in different ways, but, but what the Lord showed me 
through it all is, is that I wanted justice to be served at all costs. I mean, literally, that was my day of work that day. I couldn't think of anything else. I want justice to be served so much in that one area that I neglect it in all the other areas. Now, fancy sweater guy, if you're in the church today, that's great. Jesus loves you, although I did not on that day. There's grace for you if you ever listen to this sermon. But I'll say this. So many times we will notice uh, injustice in one area, but we will not notice justice in other areas against people who typically have a different experience than us, whether they look different, they, they, they make a different amount of money, or they live in a different area. Injustice... Um, is all around us. But there's one area that we, as a people, all experience the same, perpetuate the same amount of injustice. And, that's, and that is our disobedience and our sin against God. That's one thing we've all got in common. It's one thing that we probably think about less than anything else. And, and as we're digging into this, um, this second chapter of Lamentations, I just want to give you a little context of what's going on here. Lamentations is a book about God's people in, uh, in, in the, um, 586, 587 B.C. Uh, the nation of Israel is absolutely destroyed by Babylon. And this, this, this writing is what comes out of their experience, their emotion, their feeling during that season of seeing God wipe them off the face of the planet. I think it's the darkest time in the history of God's people other than the fall that occurred in Genesis 3 or the murder of Jesus. It's the darkest spot in the history of God's people. And what we realize in, in this writing, these poems that Jeremiah tries to put some, tries to put some structure on to, to, to kind of give boundaries to his grief, what we see in this is that in the midst of of their suffering and their in injustice, they realize one crucial thing. And it's this. What happens when you realize that you're the enemy of God? Um, and, and what I want us to lean into today is this. This is actually a sermon that we're going to talk about the wrath of God. Um, because it's all over the book of Lamentations. So uh, I want you to repeat something after me. I'm going to say it first and you're going to repeat it after me. Uh, because this is what Lamentations gives us freedom to do. It's okay to not be okay. Can you say that with me? It's okay to not be okay. As you're going through this season of Lent yourselves, you're going to hit some spots where you realize you're not okay. And instead of having the American experience of just fast-forwarding past those moments of our lives, I want to challenge you to lean into it. So the thing that we're looking at as we get into Lamentations 2 is this idea of the wrath of God. And, and what we see is this. It's the big idea of where we're going. That it's an awful thing to be under the wrath of God. It's an absolutely awful thing. I'm going to refresh our memory from Lamentations 2. And I want, I want you to pick up on the, the themes that he's talking about in these first five verses. Here's what he says. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He's cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He's not remembered his footstool. In the day of his anger, the Lord swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He's brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. And he's cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He's withdrawn from them. And then a few verses down, he says, the Lord has become like an enemy. Skipping down to verse 17. 
Here's what we see. The Lord has done what he purposed. One of the things that we notice about what happens in Judah this day is that Jeremiah not once is saying that God is in the wrong. He says, God, you promised you were going to do this, and I guess we didn't believe you because you've done what you said you were going to do. You've, you've given consequences for our sin, and we, we just didn't, we, we, got to, we got to admit, God, we didn't think you were going to go there because we'd enjoyed so much mercy from you. You were so loving toward us, we didn't think you were actually going to do what you said you were going to do, and he did it in those moments. And, and what we see, we're going to look at verses 19 and 20 here in just a second, what we see is that that brokenness that we have with God is the source, church, of every area of brokenness sin and rebellion of your life. Every frustration, every grief, every pain, every tear that you cry is because of what has happened between us and God. It got so bad, it got so bad there that there was cannibalism happening. They were starved to death. That the priests, the people that were interceding for them on God's behalf and on the people's behalf were murdered in the streets. There was nothing, there was no one, there was not evidence of God. And God was in the right. What do we do when we realize that we're the enemy of God? There are two points I want to make. First one is, is this. We all have to face the wrath of God. And the second point that I'll get to in a few minutes is this. Is that there is a way to escape the wrath of God. So let's dig, let's dig in together. What, what is the wrath of God? What is it? So the words for wrath and anger as they relate to God are almost inseparable in the Scriptures. In fact, they're used over a hundred times in the Bible together. And they're, they're almost always interrelatable. Now, what, what we see is, is this in Lamentations. And one thing that's worth noting is that Israel is never the victim of an unjust crime. A lot of times I think people look at God, especially as he relates to judgment in the Old Testament, it's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But as he relates there to his people, and we see him as kind of this cosmic abuser to people. But, but the reality is we have no idea of the offense that we've, that we've brought against the holy God. L listen to Psalm uh, chapter 6, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your, in your wrath. Or how about Psalm 97? We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. Now, we know what anger is. Some of you have felt it this morning. Some of you are feeling it right now. We know what anger is. Anger is the emotion uh, that we feel about lost love. Now, let me explain that. I, I think that anger is actually another side of love. Anger occurs in our hearts when something that we love is threatened and we're at, we're at risk of losing what we love. Now, now that could be um, anything... Um, from me getting angry at my kids when they don't respond to my discipline to them, when I don't, because discipline is love. When I don't respond, when they don't respond to my discipline, I take it personally and I say, okay, you guys don't love me. And so I get angry. Or it could be anything, you, you know, like, for instance, you, your day is difficult. You've had one of those days. Some of you might have one of those days today or tomorrow where nothing goes your way. You've got this calendar, you've got your plan, and nothing goes according to plan. And, and in those moments, you get angry, and you wonder, why am I angry? Well, it's because my calendar got blown up, and this happened that I wasn't expecting, and this expense and that expense. But really, what happened is that's not the way you thought you were going to be spending your time or your money. 
your plan. You loved your plan, and that got blown up, and so you got angry. But most of us, so we experience that level of anger, and I think it does relate to love, but most of us never get to see biblical anger. Scriptures say that you can, there's a way to be angry and not sin for us. And, and anytime God, God's name is related to anger, it's always this way. God is never in the wrong. Now, wrath is a bit nuanced. It, it seems to be this, this idea of settled, controlled, and consistent anger. So let me, let me offer a working definition of what the wrath of God is. What are we talking about today? It's this, God's controlled and consistent anger expressed through a fitting consequence toward guilty sinners. Let me read it one more time. It's God's controlled and consistent anger expressed through a fitting consequence toward guilty sinners. Now here's our tension though. We're all more comfortable not thinking about God showing wrath against sin. You know, we'd be more comfortable thinking, yeah, yeah maybe something will happen. Probably not, though. I'm probably good to go uh, with, with my offense against God. But, but here's the deal. God withholds his wrath most of the time. Even against people that deny his name, that don't follow Jesus, he withholds his wrath. But there are, there are seasons and there are instances in the history of humanity where he, where he releases his hand of mercy on humanity. And we see things like the flood or we see things like the destruction of, of Judah. We see these moments where wrath is, is, is poured out. And for some reason, we're more comfortable as human beings thinking that somehow God is not related to those very painful things. For, for some of us, we would be more comfortable thinking that, 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 that pain and sin and God's wrath being poured out are not related to him. But they're just kind of this thing that we can't explain that happens. But what we see is God is absolutely sovereign and in control of every single thing that happens on this planet. And he's never once wrong. He's never once sinful. He's never once out of control. He's in perfect, consistent control. Now, I'm not saying that when you get a cold, it's God's wrath being poured out upon your life, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that, all right? Don't, don't go there with it. But any time that we experience pain and grief and, and the consequences of sin, it, it is a result of what happened in our separation with God. But we see for the most part, God is, he withholds his wrath on this earth. He shows us all grace that we don't deserve, and most of us never acknowledge it. But there are times and seasons like the one we're looking at today where, where it really comes in full force. So I want to just look quickly at two things, a picture of God's wrath on earth and then a picture of God's wrath in eternity. Uh, the first one is a picture of God's wrath on earth. Uh, Paul opens up the, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, um, with one of the scariest phrases in the Bible. And it's this, God gave them up to their desires. Let me, let me read it for you real quick. Romans 1, 18 through 25, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed, so his consistent and controlled anger is, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, their unright living suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made and get this so they're without excuse here we see what he says is that 
God has expressed his love, his mercy, through his word, but also through his creation. And so everyone on the face of the planet is without excuse. We can't say, oh, God, I didn't know that about you. Because he's consistently showing it to all of humanity. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, here it is, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So that idea of suppression of truth happens whenever we know something to be true, yet we deny it. We suppress it. And what begins to happen when you do that over and over and over again is your hearts begin to get hardened to sin. Hardened toward God and softened toward sin, rather. We, we become more okay living in the suppression of God's truth and more okay living uh, in, in denial of who he is. And this verse teaches us that God doesn't have to be merciful to us. That any time that, that something happens in this world and we think, how could that ever happen? It shows us how little we know of our sin. It shows us how little we know of our offense toward God. And it serves for us this morning, church, as a, as a warning. As a warning, if you're a Christian in here, to, to, to take your, your sins seriously. Not, not so serious that you don't enjoy Jesus, but serious enough to know that your life ought to change and it ought not to be sinful. All of the time, you ought not to keep doing the same things over and over and over again. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, the, the wrath of God does come. And, and, and it might come on earth, but it's definitely going to come in eternity. And, and, and this is, 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 like a, is like a warning call this morning to say, hey, danger ahead. Danger. You can turn. You can go another way. These verses go into detail to, to tell us about what happens when God gives us up. He says things that happen on earth like unnatural sexual relationships or a heart that's full of envy, murder, strife, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. I thought that was interesting. Ruthless. And it's this long list that sometimes we feel in our lives, but we can't make sense of it. So let's go on to look at this, this idea of a picture of God's wrath in eternity. I promise we'll get to the good news in a moment, but I don't want to rush through this. Luke chapter 16, if you've got a Bible, flip over there, verses 19 through 31. Jesus shares this story about two men, two men that had two different eternal destinies. And the interaction that happens between these two men is so helpful as we think about where we're at with God today. Jesus says this, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Now, the story that we're looking at talks, there's some uh, insinuations about how our lives relate to money, but also how our lives relate to eternity. So we're going to focus more on the eternity part here. And so it goes on to say this, the poor man uh, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. 
The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to to dip the end of his finger in the water and to cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that, that in your life you received good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, he received bad things. So he heard the truth, but he, he suppressed it, that the rich man did. But now he is comforted here, and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and between you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us, he said. And then the rich man says this, And I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. I've got these five brothers. So they may warn them as they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. They've got the word. Let them hear the word. They have the truth. They're just suppressing it. They have it. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they would believe. They would repent then. And he said to him, they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced. If someone should rise from the dead. I just want to make four observations about what's going on here. And I, and I hope you feel the pain. I hope you feel it. <clears throat> the first one is this. We are all eternal beings. There is no such thing as just living on this earth enjoying God's grace and, and not embracing it and, and then going to, to die and just not exist anymore. If that's your plan, it's not going to work. We're all eternal beings. Lazarus existed beyond his life here, and the rich man does too. They both die and they both live forever in eternity. They both exist forever in eternity, rather. Abraham's bosom in, in this is the only place in the Scriptures this word is used. But it, but it's, it is synonymous with heaven, with, 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 with being... Uh, in a place where God is present, uh, where healing, contentment, rest, and community with God exists forever, and that's all that exists. Pure pleasure is what you see. But the rich man finds himself in a place called Hades, also known in the Bible as, as hell. It's, it's an actual place. I want you to notice that. And these men both exist eternally fixed in each of these places. There is no such thing this purgatory in the scriptures. There is no such thing as a second chance after you die to maybe go to another place. There is no chance for that. Both of the men exist forever in whatever space that they are. The second thing you notice is this, is that God's wrath is eternal. The rich man's in Hades and he lifts up his eyes and he's in torment. He, and he can even see Lazarus far off. He could see Abraham. He could see the saints. He could see them enjoying God. Yet he cannot experience it. There's nothing in him that can experience it. And he says, I know I cannot be delivered from this. He doesn't even ask for that, does he? He he knows that there's no chance for him anymore. He asks for relief. Can can you just dip a little water on me? Because I'm in so much anguish. Can you just give me some relief? 
He doesn't even ask to be delivered because he knows that's not a possibility anymore. But the pain is so deep and so dark because Jesus is not there. He's not there. The rich man enjoyed God's mercy on earth, yet he never acknowledged his name. How many people do we know that, are, that, that do that? We acknowledge the mercy of Jesus, we live our lives, we do our things, and yet we never embrace his name. And, and Jesus says in Philippians 2 that, that there will be a time where everyone will bow their knee to Jesus. Now the question is, when do you bow your knee? Because it makes all the difference. Either you bow your knee now as God as God warms your heart to the gospel and you say, I need him more than anything. And you, you get to be with him forever. Or you bow your knee when he comes back to judge the world. And the ending is not good. Third thing is this. The wrath of God is indescribably painful for all eternity. So the rich man is begging Abraham to send someone to his family. All of a sudden, the, the, the rich man says, I've got these brothers, I've got this father, I've got, I've got family, I've got people that I actually love, and I knew about this, and I just told them nothing about it. He says, is there any way that you could just, can you just send Lazarus back? They, they've suppressed the truth, but if you could just send Lazarus back, maybe they could see this guy rose from the dead, that there's really, they should pay attention to what Jesus said, what Jesus came to do. He says, they've got the truth. They've got the truth. Do they have eyes to see? Do they have ears to hear it? He's wanting to do anything that he can to save those uh, that he loves. And there are other places that just talk about the pain. I don't, I don't want to go deeper into this that I have to, about weeping and gnashing of teeth from Matthew 13. I mean, guys, it is indescribably painful to be apart from God for all eternity. If you think any other outcome is uh, applicable, it's not. It's not. Fourth thing is this. The reality of hell solicits a response. First thing the rich man wants to do, just like I said, he wants to go tell somebody about it. And I would say that this is true uh, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. You've got to respond to this reality. Um, if you are in Christ, if you are following Jesus, it solicits a response just like the rich man wants to respond to those that he loves that are apart from God. And if you're not a believer, it, it's, a, it's an invitation to respond. So the question is, will we come to grips with the wrath of God through His Word or through experience? The good news about all of this is that there's a way to escape God's wrath. If you've got a, a Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Scriptures say this, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Hebrews 1 talks about the message and Jesus coming and angels receiving the message and handing it on. He says we must pay close attention to what we've heard. We could suppress the truth if we don't pay close attention to what we've heard. We could take advantage of God's grace if we don't pay attention to what we've heard. He says lest we drift away from it. We're so prone to that. He says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, and it will, how shall we escape if we neglect such a salvation? So, so what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there's a way to escape the horror of hell. There's a way to escape the wrath of God. And, and what is that for us? 
God is, per, is, is, is perfectly just in his wrath, and he, he pours out his wrath. The question is, do you receive it or does someone receive it for you? What we see on the cross and what we're celebrating leading up to through this Lenten season is that on the cross, John 3.16 says that God so loved you, each of you, God so loved you that he sent provision for his wrath on the cross. That, that he put his son, his only son, he put on flesh, he became human, he became creation so that you might not in, receive the, the, the blow of God's wrath. That Jesus could receive it for you. And so on the cross, God pours out all of his wrath against sin. He pours it all out. He doesn't withhold anything. So if you in here today have received Jesus Christ, there is no wrath left for you. It was all given to Jesus. Every single ounce, every single drop was given to Jesus on your behalf. It's the best news in the world. But if you're not yet in Jesus, all of it's coming to you. And I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. I just want to see you experience the goodness of Jesus. I don't want to see you as the rich man in that story in Luke 16. I want you to heed the call. I don't care what you've done in your life. Jesus' provision is enough for you. So if you're in here today, I'm going to close with this. You're in one of three places. And, and I want to encourage you to act on what you've heard today. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised 2 o'clock. None of us are promised lunch today. None of us are promised anything other than right now. You're in one of three places. The first place you could be is this. is You are confidently hidden in Jesus Christ. You are hidden by his bloody sacrifice on the cross when those, when those Jews murdered him. So that he could give you forgiveness forever. And, and the message of what Jesus has done for you leads you to this deeper life of humility. You pay closer attention to your life and your conduct because you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're a son, you're a daughter of God, and now your life is His. And it leads us to, to humbly live our lives in such a way that we don't look down our nose at other people who are sinners just like us. Just because we're in mercy and they're not. We don't look down our nose. Instead, we have this posture like we've said, how we define humility at New City Church is, is this. Yeah, I could see myself doing the same thing. I could say, the, the, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize that that's what humility is. is. When you see someone's dirty laundry or you hear about it or you experience it, you respond differently now because you say, yeah, I could see myself doing the exact same thing. So God... God, as you see that Jesus has to do everything for you, you are humbled, but you are confidently hidden in Christ. You are shielded from God's wrath. The second place you could be is this, is you are possibly hidden in Christ. So maybe you've been around the church for a long time. You might even take communion. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you're even a member of a church or this church. But you're, you just hear this today and you're just not sure. You're just not sure which side of the fence you would be on. You, you're, just not, you're just not real sure in what God's done for you and if it applies to you or if it doesn't. And, and so you're just a little unsettled in your heart. Coming to faith is, 
is, is like being pregnant. <laughs> Either you're with child or you're not with child. There's, could you imagine someone coming over and saying, yeah, are you pregnant? Yeah, sort of, you know. No, no, either you are or you're not. It's, it's the same thing, this rebirth that happens in us is either we're, we are or we're not. And, and when we are born again, we're, we're following Jesus, we're, we're hidden in Christ, shielded from the wrath of God, nothing or no one can ever, ever, ever take that away from you. Amen? Nobody can take that from you. And so if you're in here today and you're just kind of uneasy, you've been around the church but you don't know, I just want to offer this verse for you. And it should be of great assurance to you. Romans chapter 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, you literally say it out loud. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. That's not what it says. It says you will be saved. So if, if you are in this camp today that you are possibly hidden in Christ, I want to encourage you to respond and make sure your salvation through confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that uh, with me or some others today. The, the third place you could be is this, is you are not hidden in Christ and you know it. You're not a Christian. You've stiff-armed Jesus your whole life, the church your whole life. And you don't even know why you're here today, but you are. And what would happen today if Jesus were to return and consummate his kingdom is absolutely atrocious. We're just touching at the edges today. And I want to beg you to change your mind. I want to beg you to receive the free gift of God. Because there's only one thing that God cannot forgive. There's only one thing, and Mark 3 tells us what it is. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. There's only one eternal sin. One sin that goes beyond every other sin. One sin that goes beyond the blood of Jesus. You know what it is? It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's unbelief. It's saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Or living a life that's indifferent to Jesus. Just touching at the edges. I want to encourage you to change your mind. And, and if you're in one of these second or third places that I've described today, I'm going to beg you to act on that today. We're not like a pressure-oriented, like altar call-driven kind of church, but here's the deal. When God confronts us in a way like he has today, we would be foolish not to respond. I'm going to beg you to do this. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to receive communion. And, and if you're in, in position two or three, like you know, maybe hidden in Christ or not hidden in Christ, and you want to do something about that today, I'm going to ask you to come in the back and talk to me and a couple of my friends and just receive the love of Jesus. We want you to be sure as you walk out of this place today. So let's pray and we're going to receive the Lord's table together. Our Father, we thank you. Oh God, it is a terrible thing to be under the wrath of Jesus. Under the wrath of God. God, it is painful to talk about. But it is more painful to ignore. God, would you shake us to our core today as we think about you. And may our awareness of you grow tremendously. God, would you, would you make those that are hidden in Christ more sure and those that are not hidden in Christ less sure about their lives? And I pray that you would birth a response in us as we think about what you've done.
So Jesus, we just we come to you and we give you thanks. And we beg for your spirit to move in this place today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.